familiar stories, whether you grew up in the church or not. You probably have heard this story, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me uh, to Daniel chapter 6, or you can follow along in the insert found in your bulletin. We do have some Bibles available for you to use on the back cart if you don't own a copy of God's Word. You'll remember that when we started our study uh, of this book some six weeks ago, I reminded you uh, that the book is structured half narrative or half story and half a collection of visions. Well, today we come to the final scene of the narrative portion in the book of Daniel. And so, as I told you last week, we are going to use this this natural break in our study of this Old Testament book, uh, to set aside Daniel, uh, beginning next week and continuing on through the month of December, to set aside the book of Daniel and to focus our hearts and our attention on the incarnation, uh, the coming in flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we jump back into the study of Daniel, uh, of the book of Daniel, Um, You'll remember that between the chapters, we've been taking these giant leap forward in time. And as we come to Daniel chapter 6, very little time has passed since last week. Darius, who we first heard about in the last verse of the last chapter, is now ruling the city of Babylon. And the great empire of Babylon has fallen. Now the empire, the region, is being jointly ruled by the Medes and by the Persians, and yet the situation of God's people remains unchanged through all of this. They're still in exile. Now this Darius that we are about to read about this morning, this Darius is not in charge of the entire Medo-Persian empire. Now, Cyrus is the name that the history books tell us. We know that name from the release of of God's people from exile. We hear that name later down the road. Cyrus is the one who is in charge. Darius, we believe, is the Persian general who took the city of Babylon and now has been left to rule the city on behalf of Cyrus. So with that bit of historical background, uh, I invite you to stand if you are willing and able, give your attention to God's Word, and listen as I read Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 28. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground 
for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. And gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunctions, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered, And said, this thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So first time that I've ever preached or taught through the book of Daniel uh, in my ministry. And it's revealed to me, and I think to all of us, the fact that the highlights that Daniel gives us of his life in exile spanning decades upon decades, years and years of captivity. It's a bit like, like, a, like a diamond, like a diamond that Daniel is holding up, and as he turns it, and as these stories are told to God's people, both, both the original hearers and the church, us here today, we see different angles and different glimmers of familiar themes, the same beautiful themes. Yahweh is sovereign over his people. Yahweh is sovereign over the nations and over the kings and over their hearts. Yahweh is with his people in their struggle. He is powerful to rescue and save, and he is faithful and calls us to do the same. As we jump into this story, this familiar story, it's hard to think about how to go about preaching Daniel and the lion's den, a story that is so vivid in so many of our minds. But as we consider this story, one that has striking similarities to a story that we heard just chapters ago, the story of Daniel's friends and their confrontation with another king and their punishment for not obeying his decree. As we consider this story, I want us to meditate on two simple truths, two simple reminders 
And again, these return to familiar themes that we have heard and have been reminded of in this story. And the first one is this, God calls us to a faithful witness. God calls us to a faithful witness. One of the things that these stories have been showing us is what it looks like to be faithful to God living in a culture that at times is openly hostile to the ways of the Lord. Now, while we always want and we must be careful about simple moralizing of characters in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, I don't think there can be any doubt that part of the reason why Daniel records this account in his life is to encourage us, to inspire us, and to instruct us on what being a faithful witness looks like. The end of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. At the very end of that passage, the writer says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. And then in just a few verses later in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us run, knowing that they have run. And so for 70 years, over the span of, of two empires, Daniel has been running the race. He's been faithfully serving. And if we could picture him in our mind's eye, his, his gray hair or his lack of hair here in his 80s, while not reflecting a perfect life, that's sure, certainly has lived a life that in some way has earned him the right to be imitated. And so this morning, for the first part of our examination of this passage, I want us to consider and learn from Daniel, seeing a bit of how Daniel was three things in this passage. Daniel was light, Daniel was salt, and Daniel was persecuted as a follower of God. You see, those are clearly the things that Jesus calls his followers to. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 16, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. So let your light Shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Daniel is a snapshot of all of those things. This is a message 
for us today. This is a message for the church. And so using those three descriptors of light and salt and persecution, let's think about Daniel. First, Daniel as light. Now, I'm not going to retell the entire story of Daniel. We just read it. It's well familiar to most of you, but the first three verses really set the scene for us. Bottom line, things were going so well for Daniel. Daniel had been clothed in purple. He had been adorned with a chain of gold by the previous king. And now, This present king recognizes his gifts, recognizes his accomplishments, recognizes the accomplishments that he served in the other empire, and so he makes him one of three high officials. And these trusted officials held these what they call satraps, these provincial tribute collectors. They held these guys accountable because in the ancient world, as we have seen in other places in the Scripture, collecting tribute, collecting taxes in the ancient world can be a very lucrative business as you pocket some of the proceeds yourself. And so this was an important role, one that Daniel excelled at. One that so, he excelled at so much that he was up for a promotion and was about to be set over a larger rule. Now, this fact about Daniel, it's not all that surprising to us. We've seen this before, this praise for Daniel. But when, when you take it all together, which is kind of what I want to do here at the end of the, the narrative section of Daniel's life and Daniel's experience, when you, when you cumulatively take it all together and think about the years and years of faithful service, faithful administrative service for more than one pagan king, it's really remarkable when you think about Daniel's life. This is, using a phrase that I've used in other contexts, a phrase from Eugene Peterson, this is a long obedience in the same direction. And remember, these are only snapshots of of Daniel's life and Daniel's friends' lives. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of mundane, ordinary moments in the service of the king, this earthly kingdom, in between the hand that was written on the wall and now a den of lions. And through it all, Daniel has proven himself trustworthy. He is well-loved by those who live in unbelief and those who live in idolatry. And as a result, the Lord is not only using him instrumentally in these events that we're learning about, but in Darius's life. Darius, the king, loves him. And why does Darius love him? Because there's something about him. Daniel is Daniel is light. Daniel is light in an empire of darkness. Daniel works faithfully doing his job 
And yet ultimately he works for something else. He submits honorably to his authority, and yet he is out to please someone else other than that authority. When he accomplishes great things, Daniel doesn't boast. When he fails and he suffers, he doesn't fret and get anxious. Even his prayer towards Jerusalem for all to see declares brightly that he has no fear and that his longing is for his home. His longing is for another place. You see, Daniel, before these words were spoken, thousands of years before these words were spoken by Jesus in Matthew 10, is living out these words. Jesus says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And so Daniel is that, Daniel is that mirror in the telescope that is reflecting the brightness of the sun in a beam of concentrated light undeniably recognizable by the common man. Daniel is what we are called to be. Those who have good reputations, not just in this room, not just among the church, but in the world, at our work and in our communities. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 that elders must be well thought of by outsiders. Our kids sing the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. Many of you children, you walk into schools, places of darkness and unbelief, and you are light. You have the light of Christ in you, emanating from you by your actions and by your life. So Daniel is light, but Daniel is also living out Jesus' call to be salt, I think, here in Daniel chapter 6. This is illustrated by the simple fact that Daniel is not retreating in Babylon to some monastic life. What's he been doing for the past decades? He's been holding down a, a secular job. For years and years and years. He hasn't been in full-time ministry. See, when Jesus says you are the salt of the world, Jesus was saying that salt preserves. And by God's grace, Daniel, entrusting himself to the Lord here, is bringing value to a regime that currently holds the people of God in captivity. Think about that. Daniel is not being subversive to their ends, but he is preserving the systems and the structures that he has been charged with in order that the Lord might work through him on behalf of his people and on behalf of his kingdom purposes. See, sometimes we in the church think that kingdom work at the office is standing by the water cooler, not doing your job, and just telling people about Jesus. 
rather than being in your office diligently working to the glory of God. And so these Persian officials, driven by jealousy, corporate jealousy, they tried and they tried to find a way to accuse him, but they, they couldn't. They found Daniel blameless. It doesn't mean he was sinless. It just simply means that Daniel was law-abiding. You see, it's no different for us today. Whether we work at the empires of, of Microsoft or Amazon or Boeing or some other entity, we work in such a way that excellence is clear. Daniel has an excellent spirit within him, verse 3 says. We work in such a way where we are above reproach and there is no way we can be accused. And so as these men come after Daniel in jealousy, they know he's law-abiding unless they can collide Daniel's known allegiance to Yahweh with something that warrants punishment in the kingdom of earth. And that leads us to the final aspect of Daniel's faithful witness, and it's persecution. Don't be surprised, Jesus says, when there is animosity towards you because of your faith. And while we've talked about this in recent weeks, we've talked about this taking place all over the world. It is increasingly becoming a reality to a much lesser degree, but it is becoming much more a reality in our world, in our culture. You know as well as I do that the world so often just doesn't understand Christians. The world so often is, is frustrated by us. They're frustrated by our claims to truth, our humble claims to truth. They're frustrated by our otherworldly concerns. Alexander McLaren, he was an old preacher from the 19th century, he saw it way back then, and he wrote in his commentary, he says, in the measure in which you and I are Christians, we are in direct opposition to all the maxims which rule the world and make it a world. What we believe to be precious, it regards of no account. What we believe to be fundamental truth, it passes by as of little importance. Much which we feel to be wrong, it regards as good. Our jewels are its tinsel. We in it stand in diametrical opposition of thought about God, about self, about duty, about life, about death, about the future, and that opposition goes right down to the bottom of things. And if we're not feeling that tension in our lives, we need to re-examine our lives. So Daniel here, in clear defiance of the king's edict, he goes about what he has done likely for the entirety of his time in Babylon. I don't think Daniel was looking for a fight. I don't think Daniel was looking to make a scene. Daniel was simply walking in faithfulness, having answered this question in his mind, what matters most, my own personal safety and security and comfort or the worship of God? 
And as I've thought about this passage, you think about the, the friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we talked about how they could have rationalized doing something different than what they did by not bowing to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel here, think of the ways he could have rationalized. I mean, it's not easy for me to think about this because they all just flood into my mind about, oh, that's what I would do. I mean, why not just pray at night, Daniel? Why not just pray away from the window? Why not for 30 days just adjust your routine, a routine that your enemies are fully aware of, in order to keep your nose clean? But Daniel counts the cost and entrusts himself to his faithful God. God calls us to a faithful witness. And I think we need to remember that Daniel doesn't know, he doesn't know the outcome of of his actions. When When we hear the story, we know the end of the story. But one of the things you may not walk out of here this morning thinking is do the right thing and you'll be blessed. That's not the message of Daniel 6. Daniel might very well have been torn from limb to limb as a result of his civil disobedience. And if Daniel is torn from limb to limb, and this has an entirely different end, God is still faithful, and Daniel still has made the right decision. God calls us to a faithful witness. That's the first thing I think Daniel shows us. But friends, as most of these passages have been, as I have said at the outset of this study, this book is not about Daniel. Daniel is not the hero of the story. This is about Daniel's God. Daniel declares, my God sent his angel And Darius gets it. Darius doesn't praise Daniel. He doesn't go on about his magic skills. He gives praise in verses 26 and 27 to the God who has saved him. Even though he didn't see the full picture of who that God was and what that God was going to do on behalf of his people. And that's why the second truth is equally important more important. Yes, God calls you to a faithful witness, but God calls us to the faithful witness. Just the change of one word. God calls you to a faithful witness, and God calls you to the faithful witness. There's more going on here than, as one preacher called it, a display of naked power. Sure, it's incredibly vivid, as was the furnace of fire. Incredibly vivid, memorable stories as God's servants are rescued by Yahweh. But Daniel's experience in the den, as curious as we might be about what went on in those 12 hours down in that animal cage, we don't know. 
The Bible doesn't tell us. It's the events leading up to. It's the events surrounding this miraculous night that are the main thrust of this passage. And you need to see, as I suspect that some of you have, that ultimately this passage points beyond Daniel, beyond his faithful stand, to a greater Daniel to come and to his experience. That Daniel and Darius can only imagine. I'd like to think that the story of Daniel in the lion's den was one of the stories on the Emmaus Road. As the resurrected Christ walked with his followers and opened up the scriptures and told them of how all that they knew in their Jewish boyhood all that they had learned in their childhood from the Scriptures, from the Torah, was about Him, was pointing to Him. You see, all throughout this story, Daniel shows us Jesus. His experience is a shadow of Jesus' reality. Listen to this. It's, it's beautiful. First, there is the conspiracy Right? They could find nothing against Daniel. Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4, the chief priests and the elders plotted together. Verse 59 and 60, they were fe- seeking false testimony against Jesus, but they could find none. Daniel was convicted by the law of the land. John 19, 7, the Jews answered Pilate, we have a law, and according to the law, this Jesus ought to die. Both were unsuccessfully saved by pagan rulers. Darius loved Daniel. He tried to save him. Pilate was scared of Jesus. He tried to save him. Daniel and Jesus both entrusted themselves to the Lord. A stone entombed them both on each of their dark nights. Early the next morning, those who loved them went to see what happened, and as a result of their ordeal, Daniel prospers during the reign of Darius, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God with all authority. Do you see what Daniel wants us to see? Do you see where he wants us to go? And yet while Daniel was law-abiding, Jesus was sinless. While Daniel almost died, Jesus did die. And while Daniel did eventually succumb to old age, Jesus was raised and still lives today. And so yes, brothers and sisters, God calls you to a faithful witness, but he first calls you to the faithful witness. God's faithfulness is declared to us in the gift of his faithful Son, And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, he calls you to himself now. All that he has revealed about himself is for the purpose of you knowing him through his son, the one we've declared through the songs that we've sung, the one we confessed our sins to and trusted in his work on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you don't feel like a Daniel, 
You don't feel like a super believer. You're not daring like Daniel. You're not disciplined like Daniel. You're not decisive like Daniel. You're not defiant like Daniel. If that's you, then you are in the right place. Because Daniel 6 and the gospel that we proclaim says that Jesus has done all things for you. And now all those D words that you can't do, he calls you to one simple one. Dependence. Dependence. Faith. Just believe on him. Look to him. Trust him. That's what he wants you to hear. He is worthy. He is able. He is where your comfort, he is where your peace is found. Not in your performance, but in his. Not in your faithfulness, but in his. Brothers and sisters, knowing this, really knowing this, digesting this, living this, that is where faithfulness begins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how how we want to honor a Savior such as this. We thank you for your servant, Daniel, flawed as he was, and yet a picture of faithfulness. We thank you most of all that Daniel points us to the Son, to the Lord Jesus. We would ask this morning that for His sake and for Your honor, dependent upon Your grace, that You would make us faithful witnesses. That You would make us salt. That You would make us light. That You would give us grace even in the midst of of suffering. Oh, Father, give us the strength of your Spirit to trust in our Deliverer, to trust in his work on our behalf and his work in us today. This we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen.